Turning then to the chapter we're considering at this time, 1 Thessalonians and chapter 1, and thinking today of being chosen by God. Thinking of these aspects in our fourth verse, we find them there, the character of our election, the cause of our election, the continuity of our election, the consequence of our election, the consciousness of our election. And in some instances of job vacancies, the board of a company has already chosen the person for the job. It happens sometimes in education within a school where a graduate from college has impressed the, the, the area of that school and the department during her placement desires to give her the vacant position that is coming up. The department advertises the post the department holds the interviews. Candidates come along and give their presentation. They answer questions. They enter into discussion. They perhaps do a, a practical uh, teaching training session within the school. But ultimately, the board has decided that this particular graduate from, from education will be given the job. They have chosen who will take the position. And in some ways, taking out all the injustices that might characterize that, that process, this is like God's election. There is the preaching of the gospel. There is the, the personal evangelism. There is the prayers of the church. There is the pleading with unconverted people. But ultimately, God in heaven has chosen who will be saved, who will be in heaven. And this is a wonderful description of members of the local church that the apostle uses in this fourth verse. He has chosen you. We've been thinking of different aspects of the people of God in this first chapter. We've considered the pastoral dimension, Paul, Silas, Timothy, different men, different ages, different personalities, and so congregational members can relate to different leaders in different ways. The historical dimension, church, a word used in the Old Testament, and we'll see more of this in our study today. The historical dimension the geographical dimension is that they're in Thessalonica, that city of around 100,000 plus people being on those important trade routes, a large and influential city within Macedonia area, the capital of that area in the Roman Empire. And we are situated here in Newton Ards at this time and seek to address the openings, the opportunities of our town the spiritual dimension in God and in Christ. They were in Thessalonica, but also in God and Jesus. We're in Newton Ards, but also incredibly in God the Father and the Lord Jesus. The ecumenical dimension, grace, the Greek address, peace, the Hebrew greeting, combining there to emphasize the unity that should characterize congregations. The visible dimension, faith, hope, love, expressing itself in their work, in their patience, in their deeds. And now, sixthly, we think of this eternal dimension of church members. Just incredible. 
He has chosen you. Before the world began, the Bible says. So think about this. The character of our election. That's the word we use. The word chosen here in verse 4. The Greek word uh, is important. So I'll tell you what it is. It's made up of two Greek words. Ek meaning out of. Logi meaning to call. And So the word chosen here means to call out. And here is God calling out people from darkness, from unbelief, from the world. He's calling them out into salvation, into forgiveness, into eternal life. He chooses, he calls out the people. J.H. Thayer in his lexicon defines the word as the act of picking out, choosing, word is used by God in in Acts as he speaks to Ananias about Saul of Tarsus who has just been converted dramatically on the Damascus road. And God says using this word of Paul to Ananias, he is a chosen vessel to me. A vessel is a metaphor for for a pot, for a jar. You might go down to the, the local shop here. I'm trying to think of the name. The local shop here to get some cups and, and you've got a choice of China, a choice of Denby, a choice of plastic cups, and you will choose one of them and leave the rest. And so God says to, to Ananias about Paul, he is chosen by me to be a servant of mine. And now Paul, subsequently, the one who was chosen, writes about the new members of this fledgling congregation in Thessalonica. God has chosen you. The one who chose me, he says, has also chosen you. Chosen you for salvation. Thayer articulates the reformed position of election when he defines it as that act of God's free will by which before the foundation of the world he decreed his blessings to certain persons. Louis Burkhoff, with whom we're familiar, he defines the word as God selects a certain number of the human race and places them in a special relation to himself. He chooses He chooses to salvation. This is set out for us clearly in chapter 5, verse 9. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 2 and verse uh, number 13, we read that God chose you to be saved. So here is the character of of our election, this calling out, this choosing, this bringing from unbelief and darkness and guilt into salvation and blessing. God has done this. We're familiar with the concept of election, aren't we? It's still a word used very much in our province. We elect people as counsellors and as politicians. Sometimes the people we want elected are not elected. But in God's case, everyone he chooses is saved 
is called out, is brought to a place of privilege and blessing. And this this verse, this truth which Paul repeatedly mentions to this young church in First and Second Thessalonians, it reminds us that God is God, doesn't it? That He is Lord, that He is sovereign, that He's above all. We live in a time when everybody in the world wants God to explain Himself. Why that suffering in that country? Why that famine in the other country? Why that drowning here? Why that illness there? God, what are you doing? And we bring him down to our level, beneath our level. Explain yourself. Tell us why all this suffering. This verse is reminding us how great God is. How high. How sovereign. How he doesn't have to explain himself to anyone. He chose you. Some people think of this doctrine as, as, as defective, as a smacking of injustice. God choosing some, and he did choose some in Thessalonica. Many others didn't believe. Why did he choose some? People get hung up on. But the real question, the proper angle is Why did he choose any? They were pagans. They were unbelievers. They loved their sin. No no one's speaking out against Angelina Jolie for adopting two African children and, and leaving millions. They're admiring her mercy and compassion and sacrifice. And that's the angle we're to take on this. What mercy, what grace. What incredible compassion he has chosen some. The character of our election. Secondly, the cause of our election. The cause of God's election is not, as we were speaking to the children, something that he foresaw in us. That's the, what we know as the Arminian position. Many brethren hold this position. Some Baptists hold this position that God foresaw who would believe as the gospel goes out into the nations. People, they argue, have the ability to believe. They can choose. They can reject it. They can repent. They they can remain unrepentant. They can be saved. They, They can not be saved. They can open the door to Jesus. They can keep the door closed to Jesus. But that's not what has been advocated here. The cause of election is God's choice, not foreseeing anything in us that we can do, whether it's faith or good works, but in his sovereign choice, he selects a people. Romans 9.15, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. So what determines God's choice of people then? Not our ability to choose him. We can't choose him. We're dead in our sins. It's not anything in us as we spoke to the children about. It's all in God. And so what in God is it then that determines his choice? Yes, it's his sovereign will. But it's his sovereign love. Verse 4. 
brothers loved by God. It's because God has loved us freely, willingly, not for anything in us, but for everything that is in him. Because he loved them, he's loved us, that he chose us, loved by God. His special love that he focuses on some to bring them and call them from darkness into light. He sets upon his people the cause of election. D.L. Moody was called to the bed of a dying woman uh, and he he went there, the the famous uh, American preacher, he went there uh, and in her last moments she asked D.L. Moody to look after her son. The husband was very harsh on the son, would beat the son and she, the mother, was concerned that the son would be looked after and Moody promised to look after him. Subsequently, the woman died and Moody sent out six of his Sabbath school children to search for this boy in the city of Chicago and they found him working in a factory. Moody went down that evening when he finished his shift. He took the boy out for a walk and spoke to him about Christ. The boy wasn't interested. He went on to speak to the boy about missing his mother and the boy began to cry. He was a teenager, began to cry. He would miss his mother's love. And Moody, with great skill and wisdom and pastoral insight, went on to speak to this teenager about the greater love of Jesus, which he needed. This was the cause of our election. Loved by God. The doctrine of election is scary for some people controversial for many, can be humbling, but it's mentioned here to comfort these new Christians. Three or four months Christians and the Apostle Paul brings in the doctrine of election here to encourage them. They're being despised by their families. They've been ridiculed by their trade guilds. They've been rejected by their city, but they are loved by God, chosen by God. And today, We shouldn't miss the intended comfort of this doctrine. Perhaps you're shy. Perhaps you're poor. Perhaps you're humble. Perhaps you're awed. Perhaps you're friendless. Perhaps you're broken. Perhaps you're despised. Perhaps you're unpopular. But if you're a Christian, you're loved by God. The cause of our election. Thirdly, the continuity of our election It's important, as with the word church in verse 1, to realize uh, that these concepts of being loved and chosen are concepts that run right throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, we find that God's people there are described as being loved and chosen. And now here, Paul writing to the Thessalonian church, this new church, describes them in the very same terms. You're loved. You're chosen. Here, are God's people now, the Christian church, loved, chosen. Deuteronomy 4.37 speaks in this way. God loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them. Deuteronomy 10 verse 15, Moses says, 
to the Old Testament church. The Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You, above all people, these ideas of being loved and chosen run throughout the whole of the Old Testament. And now they're being applied to the local congregation in Thessalonica. The key Old Testament verse behind this phrase in verse 4 is Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and 8. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were fewest of all peoples, Moses says. But it is because the Lord loves you. Again and again, in the Old Testament, God loved his church and chose his church. And these twin angles of being loved and chosen are dominant there. And now it's been applied in the New Testament world and the Christian church to local believers loved and chosen by God. The continuity of our election. Over the years, female tennis players have really enjoyed coming to Wimbledon. They've really appreciated the welcome, the respect, the care and hospitality that they've experienced. One has spoken this year of the flapjacks and the beautifully decorated locker rooms of Wimbledon. And that care has been constant over the decades. God loves and chooses his people. For those of you who are older, what an encouragement here. That God will always have a witness on this earth. One generation comes, another generation goes. Among one generation, there are the loved and chosen. In the next generation, there are the loved and chosen. The continuity of God's purpose and work of grace. And for young people, what a challenge this is for you. This is your time. This is your opportunity. This is your responsibility to serve and witness and worship in the church at this time. The older generation have served and honored God. This is your time now to take on responsibilities, to follow and serve your God. And it is my prayer that many of the 40 young people in our congregation will will stay in this congregation and serve God and take on responsibilities in Newton Arts Reformed Presbyterian Church as those loved and chosen by God. The consequence of our religion, fourthly, In verse 4, he addresses them as brothers, brothers and sisters. One feature of 1 Thessalonians is the repeated use of this term, brothers, ostracized by the world, rejected by their families, but in the church, they are brothers and sisters. 24 times in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he uses this term. And this is a chief consequence of our election, being loved by God, chosen by God, saved by God in time. We are brought into his spiritual family and we are brothers 
and sisters in this local congregation. Unbelievers have a different set of values, a different mindset, a different interests. But believers have so much in common. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Green in his commentary writes, God's election results in a new layer of social relationship that could be more closely described as that of siblings. A new layer of social relationship. Spiritual brothers and sisters. This is something again that we find in in the Old Testament in Psalm 22 verse 23. I will tell of your name to my brothers. Jesus spoke about who his brothers and sisters and mother was. Didn't he? Those who do the will of God. They are my brothers and sisters and mothers. The consequence of our election. Boys and girls, in reading through the little book in the the library for the children, in the story of Amy Carmichael, there's a prayer of hers that comes right at the very end. A prayer that Amy Carmichael wrote down. She was thinking of the the vast hospital that she had, looking after hundreds and hundreds of babies and children in India. And the prayer that she had for her ministry and for her mission team was this. And what a prayer this is for, for Newtonard's congregation. Lord, teach us to care. Give it to us to love Brothers and sisters, chosen by God. We have the saying, you can choose your friends but not your family. And we usually say that by God. You know, he's asked for some bizarre thing here. He's just behaving in an outrageous way. And we go, throwing our hands up in the air, oh, you can choose your friends but not your family. There's something we need to go and try and sort out. And it's true in the church. We can't choose our spiritual family. That's that's God's. He he does the choosing there. But we're to love them. Put ourselves in the shoes of one another. And think of their needs. We're brothers. We're sisters. Someone living on their own. A young person moving school. A young person finishing school. Someone who's never been married. Someone with chronic illness. Someone in a nursing home. Someone who's the only Christian in their family. All of these scenarios are in our congregation. We're brothers. And we're sisters. In Christ. Lastly, the consciousness of our election. The apostle begins in verse 4. For we know that he has chosen you. We know that he has chosen you. Now there's much discussion and commentaries regarding how the apostle makes this statement and we will have a sermon soon on assurance based on these verses. The word links this statement, the verse links this statement to the previous verse, doesn't it? To the faith, the hope and the love which was evidenced in their work and in their steadfastness and in their labor. For we know from the faith, hope, and love, we know by by these expressions of new life and regeneration, we know you have been chosen by God. 
Others think that the subsequent verses, and that will be our main emphasis when we study this, in verse number five, the word because explains how they know. But, but the point is here that, that God's election can be known. That what he has done in eternity in the secret of the triune God in heaven can be known on earth in the local church. Paul is saying here, we know God has chosen you. God knows. We perhaps have the persuasion ourselves, but in this instance, others know. They look in at us, they see us, they watch our life, they observe us. We know that he has chosen you. Carlos Alcaraz, he believes his place is in center court. He believes he has the gifts, he has the ranking, he has the popularity, he has the following. His place is in center court. He's aware of his genius and ability. He's not going through this position of being number one in a blur. He is conscious of his privilege, of his moment, of his time. The apostle here, not just here, but in other parts of Thessalonians, assures these local church members that they have been chosen by God. Some have a false assurance, don't they? They believe they are Christians, but don't live like a Christian. As a false assurance, Jesus says, by their fruits you shall know them. Others have a a false lack of assurance. They think, well, I I can never be too cocky. I I can never claim too much for myself. They, They always harbor and delight in this element of doubt regarding their salvation. But surely this verse is directing us in the way that we can have full assurance of salvation. We know that he has chosen you. We can't avoid the doctrine of election, however much we want to. It's found right throughout the Old and the New Testament. But when we consider it, let's consider it in its context. It's written here, not to scare the new believers, but to comfort the new believers. They're persecuted on earth, but they are loved chosen by God and if you're not yet a Christian one writer gives great advice he says Joseph Elaine don't start with election start with conversion he writes you begin the wrong way if you first dispute about your election prove your conversion and then never doubt your election Paul, in the synagogue of Thessalonica, urged the people to believe, to trust in Jesus, to repent of their sins. Then he writes to them, after they did that, we know your election by God. Let us begin with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And then, by his grace and spirit, we will have the assurance of his salvation.